Amen. As we come to God's Word, if you have a, a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Genesis 1 as we look at this together. God's design for men and women. Whether we're male or whether we're female, it's one of the most crucial aspects about who we are, and it will affect so much about your life. And as we said, the boys and girls, our gender, which is under threat in these days, it's God-given. And God has made us as we are in a way that we can know Him and serve Him in the people that we are. Now, people try to minimize today the, the differences there are between men and women, but there's no doubt that men and women that we are very different in many ways. We're different, first of all, physically. Uh, our, our bodies are different in many different ways, uh, and men generally are physically and strong, physically bigger and stronger than women. Although, when you're going through primary school, often the girls tend to be bigger, and then in secondary school, the boys tend to, to catch up. But we are physically different. But also, we are mentally different as well. Uh, the way we think and our emotions are different. Studies have shown that while men and women have the same mental ability, but there is a difference between how we process language, information, and emotions. We are different inside. Uh, studies have shown that women tend to be more intuitive. Uh, sometimes that's why women can work out who's a bad apple quicker than us men. Men tend to be more analytical, studies have shown. Uh, Philip Jensen and others have used the picture that men's minds are like waffles and women's minds are like spaghetti. And now that's not an insult in any way, but men's, and we're generalizing here, of course, but men's minds tend to see things in different wee boxes, wee squares like waffles. Uh, and one of, the, one of the results of that is men can come home from work and tend to be able to switch off quicker. They have things in different boxes. It also means that we struggle to focus on more than one thing at one time, where women can indeed, uh, they can focus on different things. Their minds are more like intertwined. That's why women often struggle to, to relax when they come home from work, and they can indeed multitask in a way that men don't. And so the pictures used there of waffles and spaghetti, uh, I think, is, can be helpful. Socially, we're different as well. Uh, how men and women interact in relationships is different. Uh, their social needs are different. Uh, and this is something, I think, particularly can cause problems within marriage when men don't realize that the, the needs of women socially are different from men. You can say it in amusing ways. Why is it that women have to go to the toilet in groups. Uh, for us men, if we go to a toilet and meet another man we know in, to in toilet, it's quite often can be embarrassing to meet somebody in toilet where women do that. Often if women are going to something, they would need another woman to sit beside where men often don't think that way. But it's just wee markers to show that in regards to who we are relationally, we are different. In communication, uh, we're different as well in regards to our needs. Now, while some feminists would argue the differences between men and women are mainly due to social conditioning, <laughs> there's no doubt we are different 
because we have been made differently by God. Now, if a wee table that will come up here on how the church has responded to male and female differences. And probably the, if you go back over the centuries, the traditional difference has been one of showing male superiority, where there is generally male leadership with women's roles and particularly any teaching role very limited. And it's not just that men sometimes have a different role as leaders. It has been, whether deliberately or accidentally being portrayed, that men are better than women. And in those situations, women have been diminished, and their potential to serve the Lord as women has been diminished. But then what has happened in the 20th century, there has been a swing in many situations totally the other way. Just flick on to uniformity there. And uniformity was the idea that men and women are the same, not just equal, but men and women are the same. And we have male and female ministers, male and female elders, that anything a man is allowed to do, a woman is allowed to do. Now, the result of that upon churches tends to be that men tend to be diminished. Uh, and particularly, I think studies have shown that in churches where there's a, a female minister, the number of men within that church tends to decline very quickly. And those are two ways, and I've got to say both of those ways are equally wrong. The way of male superiority and the way, way of uniformity is wrong because God has made us equal and God has made us different. And I think what the Bible teaches is what we now see on the wee table, what is called complementarity. That's a big word, or complementarianism. And it's basically the idea that men and women complement each other, complete each other. It does teach from the Bible, male leadership. But alongside that male leadership is a very active role for women in ministry, in service. And what it tries to show that indeed that often women have failed to be able to use the gifts that God has given to them. And when you have the complementarity position, men and women will flourish. When we understand who we are when we understand what our role is under God, equal but different, it's then that we will flourish. Now, in the account of creation, there's a lot of complementarity, a lot of things that complement each other. This is seen in light and darkness. It's seen in the waters and the sky, the land and the sea, and the male and female, things which are different but which complete each other. Now, where does this idea of being complementarian come from, where we com two different parties complete each other? Well, it begins with God. It begins with what I'm calling the complementarian God. In the work of creation, the triune God, the three in one, was busy at work. And in Genesis 1 and verse 26, this is what God says. It'll come up on the screen. Let us make man 
in our image after our likeness. It isn't that God says, let me make man in my image, in my likeness. There's plural there. And that plural comes from the fact that God is one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the three persons of God in creation were working together. Now, what can we say about the three persons within what we call the Godhead? Well, there is, first of all, equality between the three persons. The Shorter Catechism in Answer 6 says this, There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So, in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the three persons are equal in their greatness. In, it says the word substance. It's not a great word because God isn't made of stuff the way we are. The essence of who these persons are, they're equal in power and glory in who they are. So, in the Godhead, there is three persons who are equal. But also within the Godhead, there is diversity. Within the Trinity, each person has a different role, and this is particularly seen in the work of salvation. Ephesians 1 just summarizes this very well. The Father chooses who are saved in verses 3 to 5 of Ephesians 1. Then the Son dies for these people who have been chosen, these people who are redeemed, verse 7. And then the Holy Spirit applies salvation to them at rebirth, called sealing in verses 13 to 14. And so, there are the three persons of God at work doing different roles in salvation. That also applies to creation, applies to anything that God does. The three persons are busy, but their roles are different. Now, this is an important bit. In these different roles, the Son accepts the authority of the Father. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. So, the Father has sent Him. The Father has commanded Him to go. Philippians 2 speaks about the Son, how He did not consider equality of God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but became a servant obedient all the way to the cross. So, he submitted. He who is equal to the Father submitted to his authority. And the Holy Spirit accepts the authority of the Father and the Son. John 14 and Acts 2 speaks of how the Spirit is sent by the Father and by the Son. So, there's diversity, different roles, different authorities in this. And then there is complementarity in the Godhead. Answer for the Catechism says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And that is describing the God who can't be measured, the God who has no beginning and end, the God who doesn't change, because this is the God who is perfect in His wisdom, power, holiness, and so forth. And God is perfect in His three persons. God's perfection is completed 
with the three persons present. Do you remember how Jesus encouraged His disciples to baptize Him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It's through the three persons of God working together that people will get a complete salvation. Salvation is only complete through these three persons working together because God is only complete through the three persons. So, this is the background of this. In God, there is equality, diversity, and complementarity. God, the three persons, complete each other. This brings us then to our second point, which is the, the blueprint of creation. Now, it's important to consider the nature of God because people, when they were made, and made male and female, they were made in the image of God. Look at Genesis 1 and verse 27, what it says. So, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And I believe what that teaches is not just that men and women are equally made in the image of God. In God making them male and female, and how male and female they would interact together, spoke something about the nature of this triune God whose image they were made in. And so, what we see in God, we should expect to see in His plan for His people who are made in His image. And the first thing we see is equality. Men and women were equally made in the image of God. And this is not just equality between men and women. This is an equality right across the human race. And this is why every human life needs to be valued. Every human person needs to be valued because we have all been made in the image of God. And that's why men and women have to be equal because Men cannot be superior than women because men are not made more in the image of God than women are. Women are as much in the image of God. They as much reflect His glory, His majesty, His wisdom as a man does. And that's why we're equal in the essence of who we are. And the other thing to see here in Genesis 1 and 28 when the role, the role of ruling over creation was given, it was given to mankind, male and female. And God blessed them, plural, and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So, it's men and women working together that was given the role of ruling over this world. So, there is this equality. But then, secondly, there is diversity. Diversity comes in men as the leaders. Now, what we have in Genesis 1 and 2 is Genesis 1, we have a general overview of creation. But what we have in Genesis 2 is like a replay, but focusing in particularly on the creation of the first man and the first woman. So, what we have in Genesis 2 are the events which happened on day six of creation. Now, we see here in Genesis 2 that the order that things happen are indeed very significant. 
Paul in 1 Timothy 2 says this. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she should remain quiet. Now, listen what he says. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. The order of creation, man be made first and then the woman be made for man, speaks indeed of his leadership, his headship within that relationship. In 1 Corinthians 11, speaking about worship, this is what Paul says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For the man was not made from woman, but the woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Now, I'm not going to get into the issue of head covering here today, uh, by any means, but the point is being made there. It's because the man was made first and the woman was made from the man, the man has authority over the woman. Now, that doesn't mean he's better. It doesn't mean he's greater, but it speaks of a different role. He has the role of leadership, and the role of leadership is within the family and within the church. Paul is talking here about the context of the church. Now, part of this rule of authority includes teaching. Now, you remember God gave a commandment not to eat of the forbidden fruit, not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Who did God give that commandment to? To Adam and Eve? No. You see there in Genesis 2, and from verse 16, it was given to Adam before Eve was formed. Why was it given to Adam? Because he was the leader. He had the responsibility to be the teacher in that relationship. Likewise, when we come to the New Testament, it is fathers who are particularly singled out with the primary responsibility, not the only responsibility, but the primary responsibility to teach. Ephesians 4 teaches that it's fathers who are to bring up their children in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. So, part of the role of the man within the home and within the church was this leadership role, this leadership teaching role. But then let's think of the role of women. And this is, comes as women as helpers. In Genesis 2 and verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, a helper on his level. Women as helpers. Now, sometimes the idea of a woman as a helper is seen as a degrading thing. We, we sometimes use the term about if a, a wee boy is helping his daddy, oh, there's your wee helper, or a wee girl is helping her mummy, there's your wee helper. And to be honest, it's a very patronizing and diminishing term. And I think this carries over to that look, the woman is the man's helper. It's like a patronizing term. We have to get out of 21st century Northern Ireland use of the word helper to understand this properly. Our thinking of the word helper changes when we see it as the Bible uses it. The Hebrew word for helper is ezer. Ebenezer means the stone of helper. And 
who is it most commonly applied to? This term helper, who is it most commonly applied to in the Bible? To God. Let me give you a few examples. Deuteronomy 33 and 29. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. No patronizing term at all. God is the shield and the helper. He is a sword for this people. Psalm 54, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. The God who sustains their life is this helper. Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. The Lord is the one who gives victory for His people as their helper. And one more, Psalm 10, you have been the helper of the fatherless. So, the term helper is no way a term which means someone is inferior. It speaks to someone who is absolutely essential, somebody who is absolutely vital, someone who is needed for the other person to survive and to fulfill what God intends for them. And that's the real dignity here for women, that they indeed, that men could not cope, men could not survive, men could not fulfill their role unless they are beside them. The two indeed help each other in this. And so there is equality, there is diversity, and then there is thirdly complementarity in this. God spoke of how within the church every member is needed. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about this, that every member is needed. Even the members, maybe we think, are the least important. They need to be showed special honor. Every person is needed in the church. Within the church, it's the presence and the role of both men and women that is vital as they complete the task as God has given to them. The woman is there beside the man. She's the one that he needs to complete him. Now, that applies in a marriage, yes, but that applies equally in the life of the church. If either the woman or the man is absent and isn't there to indeed fulfill their God-giving calling and role, the church will be a dysfunctional church. And the church will flourish, the church will grow, the church will develop when men and women equally work beside each other in fulfilling the role that God has given to them. Now, we will, over these next few weeks, next week we'll be thinking particularly about women's ministry and the following week about men's ministry, but we will, over these next few weeks, indeed work out more of what this means. But let me just share something now just to whet our appetites to explain about the difference in the role of men and women. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 speaks of how his ministry is both like a mother and a father. Now, let's think of how he's like a mother, first of all, in verses 78 of 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, but we were gentle among you, 
like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become dear to us. Do you see the, the mother's role? Do you see the female qualities that he pulls out there? Gentleness, nurturing, caring, affection, sharing the gospel, and sharing their lives. And there's a way that women can do that and fulfill those roles and fulfill those qualities. There's a way that they can do that that men can not do it. And that is why the role of women within the church is indispensable. Then think about the, the father's role in verses 11 to 12. He says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to work in a manner worthy of God who calls you into this own kingdom and glory. Do you see how the, the role of the man is highlighted there in the father? A role that included exhortation encouragement, and charging them to live for God. Now, here we see that the, the man's role, in a sense, is a, a stronger role. It's a role primarily about leading and teaching. The woman's role is a role which includes, yes, teaching, but it's a role that can be particularly highlighted by nurturing and caring alongside that of the man. Now, while men should give clear leadership, women, like in the case of her mother, are the glue that holds the church family together. And isn't that true? And this is challenging when the mother disappears and the mother is taken from the scene of time. But in most situations, it is the mother who is the one who holds the family together. It's the mother who's the one who particularly works at keeping the family united. And that is the role of women within the church. Remember we talked there about how socially women are different? Women need to be different. The church needs this more relational aspect that's found in women to glue the church together. If a church was just a church with strong teaching of men, where would be the, the unity and the glue that is needed for us to be at the same time a loving and tender fellowship? Now, there's generalizations here, and of course, there are big differences between men and women, but this is what the Word of God teaches here. As these two roles are developed side by side under God's grace in the church, the church will grow, and the church will flourish. So, as I finish here this morning, let me just quickly recap what we've learned about God's design, His blueprint of creation. There's equality. We are equal before God. None of us can think that we are superior to another person in any way, and men cannot think they're superior to women, and vice versa. 
There's diversity. We were not made the same, and praise God for that. We are different in many different ways. We have different roles in that. Men have a role leadership. Women have a role as helping alongside that. But it's not a patronizing role. It is a vital role. It's a crucial role. It is a fulfilling role. And there's complementarity. We can only be the church we're meant to be when together, as equal people, as different people, we use our gifts, our talents, we fulfill our calling to be the men, to be the women that God calls us to be. Tonight, we'll continue this. Tonight, we're going to think about how God's design was corrupted by sin and then restored in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we want to praise You for the Creator God that You are. Uh, we want to praise You that You're this God of, of such wisdom and knowledge. And Father, You have designed us as men and women to complement each other, equally made in Your image, none of us superior to any other. But Father, that we are those, indeed, who have been made by You in Your image, to serve, worship, and glorify you together. So, Father, just as we have embarked in this study about God's design for men and women, just teach us more about it. Teach us about the men and the women we're called to be, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a Christian man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a Christian woman, what you call us to do. Show us what our individual calling is. Show us how we fit together in this. And Lord, we just pray that indeed your Spirit will powerfully lead us on in this. And yet at the same time, Father, help us to remember that we cannot be the man, we cannot be the woman that you call us to be. We cannot have the part in the church that you call us to be part of unless we have been redeemed by Christ. We know His grace, His salvation in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.